Hi, everybody. Welcome to Radio 815. I am your co-host, Matthew Crandall, here with my co-host, Marcelo Inostroza. Today, we are taking a look at the first season of Alias. J.J. Abrams struck out and made his own spy show after loving things like Mission Impossible and all sorts of stuff growing up. Um, we took a look at the season premiere, the, the first episode ever, last week. Now we're taking a look at our top five episodes of season one of Alias, which is a crazy ride. Uh, first on mine and Marcelo's list is episode two, So It Begins, which is written by J.J. Abrams and directed by Ken Olin. Marcelo, what'd you think of this episode? I really like this episode because this episode really scratches and it's for me in that it's basically an episode where SD6 um, uh, uh, is told that that uh, someone is trying to recover a big giant nuclear weapon mm-hmm. and the, and uh, Sloan and um, Sydney have to go after it and, yeah. and and that whole and that whole sequence, of seeing them, you know, you know, basically get their gear together, and once they're on the mission, it's really cool. But 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 the whole sequence of seeing them, uh, as you said, Matt, play dress up is really cool. Yeah. But the thing that I the thing that I uh, like about this episode is that there are various scenes that tell you that Sydney is sort of not comfortable um, around her SD6 counterparts anymore. Uh, when she eventually does go back um, to the office for the first time, when she walks in, you see her sort of staring and looking at a, looking at everyone. Yeah. You know, and sort, of, and sort of running the questions to remind who here is on my side and who here is not. And that's such a cool thing that, you know, she used to think that everybody there was on the good guy's side. And now she's looking around the room and she's like, which of these bastards know that SD6 is a criminal sinister organization? Like, does Marshall know? Does Dixon know? Like, she's looking at people like, you know, it's tough when you thought you were just in in a, you know, pond and you find out you're swimming with sharks. The, the beat at the very beginning that I like very, very much is when uh, Sloan um, takes Sydney to a back office and then he reveals uh, Sydney's father is there waiting for her. And, you know, Sloan steps out thinking that Sydney has no idea that her father was a part of SD6, mm-hmm. you know, and their whole uh, uh, conversation and to the point where Sydney says, did you know that they were going to, you know, assassinate Danny? And the the way that uh, Jennifer Gardner plays the scene, the moment that Sloane steps out of the room, her face goes from really stoic, really serious, to really, really sad within a second. Yeah. And I just found that to be really, really impactful, and really, it's it, it's a really, really nice wrinkle that Jennifer Gardner can do that. She can go from, you know, completely stone-faced to completely vulnerable within a second. Mm-hmm. And the fact that 
she her father says that you know I knew and then and then Sydney just slashed me across the face. Yeah. I thought was really powerful and really says something about what she thinks of her father up until this point. Oh, big time. You know, you know, also at the very end of the episode, when um, she finds the <laughs> she finds the warhead um, in, uh, in in a grave. grave. <laughs> First of all, I was like, dude, girl, are you telling me that there's nobody around right now? You're digging in a grave, yeah. you're in a hole, and you're opening a casket. How can there not be somebody around right now? Right. But I go, I, but I go, okay, 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 I'll buy that. But the, but the thing that drove me nuts is like, okay, you dug the hole, you realize that there's a casket there, but don't you have a thing that can tell you if there's something in there? Can tell <laughs> right. you, can tell you if that thing is active, mm-hmm. right? I mean, really, did she have to open the box? <laughs> but you know, then again, when she opens the box, you get the big scene. I'm like, oh my god, I got, I've got two minutes. What the hell am I gonna do? And, you know, yeah. and then the fact that she calls Marshall and, you know, and because the fact that she called Marshall, SD6 knows where the where the where the warhead is now. But, but the fact that she didn't call Vaughn and she didn't call the CIA to, to help her out with it does show that she actually trusts some uh, personnel at SD6. You know, the fact that she called Marshall, I think, does show trust to uh, trust in that she she trusts Marshall and that she doesn't completely um, um, suspect him of being dirty or, or suspect him of knowing who he's working for in the first place. Yeah, and I think she also doesn't fully trust the CIA at this point to actually care about her that much. So she didn't want to have her life on the line with the CIA being the only ones to save her. So she was like, you know, SD6 knows me, they're going to help defuse this bomb but what i like is at the beginning of the episode you know speaking of the range of jennifer garner her sid and vaughn have a meeting where vaughn is trying to like run down how this whole thing is going to work and she's like he's kind of being a little bit condescending and she goes on like an angry rant where she's like listen like i'm not gonna put up with any of this misogynistic bs you know, I'm a powerful woman. I can take care of myself. And then, you know, Vaughn drops the bomb of, well, how far reaching do you think SD6 is? And she's like, well, we can take it down in a month and a half. And he rolls out that big chart and is like, this is freaking SD6. I've been working on this chart for forever. And like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And so to see her fired up and mad that Vaughn was kind of being a dick to her and not realizing the skills that she has. And then, you know, the whole gravity of SD six and how far reaching it is more than she ever thought all in the course of a minute and a half. And you're like, wow, like no wonder Jennifer Garner is a superstar. Uh, cause she just does so much in those moments. Um, and I really do like the chemistry between her and Michael Vartan, even when they they meet up at a convenience store and he wants to see if she wants a slusho. And, uh, you know, just in those moments where they're they're still doing their spy business, but like there's some camaraderie already building between them and some tension. And uh, you already know that I love when, you know, 
this show takes Sydney places and puts her in ridiculous outfit. So like they gave her long blonde hair and a blue latex dress and she's just kicking ass in this thing. And it's like supermodel gone badass. And I love that stuff. Um, and also in this, <laughs> there's that really tense disc exchange moment. And, uh, Weiss calls Vaughn Balls of Steel. And he's like, hey, everybody, this is Balls of Steel. So I like that even when stuff is really serious, we can still have some funny moments. And Will does dig deeper into what went on with Danny. And he gets that information about the plane tickets. And that ends up being a really sweet moment. <laughs> sweet As sweet as Jack and Sydney are going to get now. You know, their relationship grows. But when she finds out, that Jack did book those tickets to try and maybe get her and Danny out of there. You know, it, it says a lot about how Jack actually feels about Sydney, um, more than she has known because she doesn't know him. So this is all news to her. And when Marshall was diffusing that bomb, uh, like really funny, but you can just, that, <laughs> Benji in Mission Impossible 3 and beyond is such a clone of Marshall, but Simon Pegg puts his own spin on it. But just the way it's written, you know, when Marshall's doing all this stuff, I'm like, yeah, like JJ just cut and pasted this text and gave it to Simon Pegg. Like, that's how it goes. But uh, I really love that, you know, every episode has movie quality action, but also a lot of heart. And then they end on cliffhanger after cliffhanger. And this one goes on a cliffhanger. That brings us into episode three parody written by two guys who have a special place in your heart, Kurtzman oh, yeah. and Orsi, and uh, directed by Mikhail O'Solomon. Uh, what do you like about episode three, Marcelo? I, uh, first of all, I don't know. I don't know if you do the same thing, but um, since I'm such a TV and film junkie, when I'm watching something and I see the two, the, you know, I see, I see the names of, artists that I enjoy or, or direct or some of my favorite writers or some of my favorite directors. Yep. I, I lose it. And when I was watching this episode and I saw their names pop up, I just, I just, I just, I just slept for joy. You should have yeah. seen me. It was crazy. Uh, but the thing that I like about this episode is that this episode introduces the sort of the biggest, it's not the, the biggest mystery box of this entire series. Um, yeah. It, you know, it introduces the, uh, oh my God, I forgot. I had it just in my head. What is, what's, what's his name of this guy? The, 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 uh, the, uh, Milo Rimbaldi. Thank you. Got it. I had it, I had it just in my head. And, um, yeah. So this episode has Sydney go up against a, a rival agency, uh, uh, by the name of K directorate. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love about this uh, episode, uh, notwithstanding that it was written by two of my favorite writers of all time. Just let's put that aside for a second. Yep. Awesome. Um, but the fact that we see Sydney compete with another agent, and that that agent is uh, is is Zoe from Firefly. Yeah, I think is the coolest thing ever. You know, and the whole sequence of seeing Sydney trying to get to the package before. Before uh, Zoe, uh, before uh, what's your Anna? Uh, thank you, thank you. That's why you're. That's why you're the research guy. Yeah. The, the whole sequence of seeing Sydney trying to get to the package before her opponent does is really awesome. And then seeing her 
do the switch between uh, between um, uh, K Directorate and SD six with the CIA watching in the big in the big football field. Yeah. Also, that the episode ends with just with with just the with just the them opening up opening up the case, and then you know pushing in on Sydney's eyes, and, and then she goes, "Oh my God!" Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a it's like a a Pulp Fiction moment, right? You know, you know, it's like it's like that Pulp Fiction when Vincent opened up the case and Samuel L. Jackson asked him, "Do we have it?" And he goes, mm-hmm. "We have it. We got it." Yeah. Um, you know, but the thing, uh, um. Also, the thing that I loved about this episode is that around the CIA, people, and when I say people, one dick, we'll get to him later, yeah. are are questioning the way that Vaughn is running Sydney and to the point where he gets replaced. And I love the whole scene with Sydney and her new handler in, in like a van or garage. Mm-hmm. He is so sleazy and so like he is like so dismissive of the of of what she can do as a operative i, I don't yeah. know if he's I don't, I don't know if he's anti women but his his vibe was so like you're not important and i you know you know i'm going to tell you what to do and i'm going to tell you when to do it that mm-hmm. i love the fact that when they met up at the magazine kiosk later on yeah sydney took it upon herself to say listen to listen to me uh, when, you know, uh, when we do this job, if Vaughn isn't on the other end of this microphone, when I put it in my ear, I'm out. Yeah, right. You know, I really did like the fact that she stood up for somebody that she barely knew. Yeah. Uh, she gets Vaughn a promotion, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I like the first time she meets that new handler Lambert, you know, he's kind of like, Hey, just, uh, I should say hello. And she's like, well, listen, idiot. Like, I'm risking my life to be here, so do not call me for just a hello. Like, unless you got something to say, don't freaking do it. Like, Vaughn at least knew that. So I love that she, like, lays the smack down on Lambert. She's just like, you're an idiot. Like, you're doing things the old school way, but this is the new school, and this is how it's got to be. And like you said, the cool thing about this episode with, you know, Kurtzman and Norsey writing is it did it did introduce the whole... Rambaldi thing, um, which they describe in the episode as Da Vinci meets Nostradamus. Mm. And this is the first episode where it starts to become clear that Alias, for the most part, is actually a hybrid of Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. So it was that, you know, the first couple of episodes, there was like a little bit of that. But this is where we're like, this is some Last Crusade, Ark of the Covenant type shit that's going to be going down throughout the next 22 episodes. So if you're not ready, you know, buckle up because this is not just going to be a standard thing. We're we're throwing this other stuff in there. And I thought that's part of the moment where I got hooked, where, you know, as we discovered this Rambaldi mystery box and as it builds throughout the season, you're just like, what is going on? Who is this guy? And I honestly, you know, as we'll watch this, we'll see if it has a satisfying payoff. In my mind, I remember that they, it kind of doesn't, but it's still the journey that's fun. And uh, one small moment I want to mention in this, in terms of mystery box and laying tracks, there is a scene with Sloan and Jack, and they have a, a brief conversation about Sydney and her curiosity about her mother. 
and they say, did you tell her the truth? And we're like, what, tr what truth? What is he talking about? Like, oh my gosh. And then just, yeah, like you said, the end with Gina Torres is always good, but making her the, the bad guy version of Sydney Bristow um, is awesome. So like when her and Sid are competing and they're in that football field and they're opening the thing together and then it ends and you're like, oh my God, like, what are you doing to me? This is killing me. Really good episode. Yeah. Also, um, one more final thing here before I move on. I I really I, I'm really fascinated that that I, I I don't know if you picked this up, Matt. Um, but K director to me is sort of a stand-in for a uh, a Russian sort of cell that that mm. that that was rumored to be active in the 80s, like like. Like uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, acting on American soil and 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 doing Russian interests. I can't. It's it's the uh, it's, the, it's the Americans with Carrie Russell. No, 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 no but it's the, <laughs> it's the it's the it's the MK Ultra project or, or or something like that. Right. K director, K director to me screams that JJ saw that in the news somewhere and he said, "This is a really cool group. How can I fit this into my show?" And that's how I came up with K director. Mm -hmm. But you know, I just I just find it so fascinating that even awful organizations, terrorist organizations, terrorist organizations have competition too. Oh, and, big time! You know, and K Director is a cool name, by the way. <laughs> it it definitely is a cool name. <laughs> uh, so moving on, that was episode three. One of my picks is episode eight. Time will tell. Written by Jeff Pinkner, directed by Perry Lang. Jeff Pinkner, of course, um, one of the the main guys who did Fringe with some of our other favorite guys. So he definitely stuck around with the JJ crew for a while, for a while, to a point. Um, yeah. And in this one, this is the episode where Sydney has to take the super lie detector test because SD6 is aware that they may have a mole. And the tension when she's taking the test, you know, is off the charts. And then later it comes back to bite her that she did so well on the test that everybody doesn't believe that she could be innocent because she aced the test. And it's like, well, this is a catch 22. How can you have a spy be, you know, pass the test? And then you say, well, because they passed, they must be the mole. Like, that's so frustrating. But this is a super Rimbaldi heavy episode where... um her and Anna are still facing off and trying to track down artifacts. And Sydney goes to find a guy named Giovanni Donato, who has a clock that Rambaldi had worked on um, back in the 16th century. And in it, it's going to unlock the mysteries of a sketch with the digits and all sorts of that kind of stuff. Um, but then like I said earlier, Indiana Jones, there's a moment where Sydney is meeting that guy and he's looking at the clock and she's like, well, what does it do? And he says, well, it's missing a piece. She said, yeah, well, if I get that missing piece, what does it do? And he said, you know, Rambaldi never told me. And then she's like, he never told you. And the guy's like, oh, whoops, I said too much. So like, this is a 500 year old man, uh, some Indiana Jones last crusade sort of waiting for you for 800 years stuff. Uh, and as we find out, a few episodes from now, you know, Sydney herself has a deeper connection to Rambaldi than she even knows at this moment. But, uh, one of the, 
the pieces of trivia for anybody who watched in this episode. The date given on the clock is 8, 16, 15, 23. No which, those are four of the famous lost numbers. Uh, so that is kind of a, a JJ Easter egg within this episode. And I just, any of that kind of like mythology stuff really interests me in the fact that, you know, that carries over into another show in a way is so awesome. And I think that's totally JJ, you know, dropping breadcrumbs here and there for the, the rewatch fans. And in this episode also, Will gets a lot to do. And Bradley Cooper is finally settling into the role of Will where he went through like three different hairstyles in the first eight episodes, but they finally got like a non-ridiculous hairstyle and the dude's looking more like, you know, he could be a movie star at any moment. But he starts to go down this rabbit hole because of this woman named Kate Jones who vanished. And this is the one where he finds the microphone. And uh, I just love when he's, you know, dealing with this microphone that ends up giving that character so much more to work with and a lot more dramatic potential than, you know, half the time we would just see him frustrated at the, the newspaper, not doing much, but this really opens up Will's arc in a much broader sense um, for some really exciting stuff. Also, I love that later on in this season, because, you know, at one point Will starts investigating, you know, SD six, do they really exist? What are they all about? Yeah. At one, if this has nothing to do with the episode, if, if I could just drop this in, then I'll tell you my overall thoughts of this episode. Um, you know, to 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 at one point in the season where he gets kidnapped by Jack, which is mm-hmm. which is really scary because yeah. <laughs> because you know because Brick the Garver when he wants to be terrifying, he can be really. Oh yeah, he's intense, man. He can be really terrifying. But what I loved about this episode, you pointed it out. This episode does such a good job. Uh, by, you know, giving us more about this Rimbaldi myth. This episode does such a good job about giving us more about, uh, giving us more history about, you know, what it is, what it is about the, the Rimbaldi myth that makes it so appealing to, to others, that makes it so appealing to SD6 and other organizations that could want it uh, and, and that could eventually find out what it is and use it. To, to 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 sway the balance of power in our world in one direction or another. Yeah. Also, I did I, I loved that scene with the old man when you're looking at the clock. I didn't I didn't notice the numbers, but the second you point that out, I was like, I was like, damn it, I missed that. How did I miss that? It's, it's it's very tough to see, and I've you know have done research on the internet that points it out. So then you're like, oh okay, it's not like a casual f- person is just going to go, oh these numbers. Right, right. Also, also, when you uh, to go back to um, uh, one of your points, when you uh, said that this series is a hybrid between Indiana Jones and Mission, when Sydney was looking over the clock with the old guy, right, and Sydney asked, you know. Sydney asked the old guy, you know, a piece is missing. He, she goes, you didn't tell me about a piece missing, right? <laughs> right. All I can, all I, all I had going in my head, because actually I was, I was randomly thinking about Indiana Jones uh, and, um, and the Ark of the Covenant for some weird reason while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. All I could, all I could think was, you know, so Belloc has 
the wrong. He he made his staff too long, and they're digging in the wrong place. Right. I don't know what in the world made me think of that. Yeah. But I was like, they're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, you, you know, I, I'm so happy that you made that comparison out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Because I was totally going to say that the, the, this series as a whole has an, an adventure feel and it does have a mission feel, but it, it's like a hybrid of those two. Yeah. And I think I think that that is a major credit to the guy who created it and to, you know, and to the writing staff who, you know, he's going to spend five years writing it. Right. That that they really came up with this interesting mythology to carry the series home for five years and yeah. I, I i just thought that this episode was was really fun to watch and to see will uh uh you know uh basically get deeper and deeper into the you know into the mystery of what really happened to um to sydney's boyfriend mm-hmm. what was fun and um i really haven't noticed the fact that bradley cooper has had like six different haircuts <laughs> yes <laughs> you know, you know, you know. Good on you for noticing that, but I, that that kind of just passed me by there. Yeah, well, it was. It's only because you know I was like, look at this goofball. You know, in the pilot, he has horrible, like spiky punk sort of hair, and then they had like floppy hair, and then they settled on like clean cut. And mm-hmm. the other thing I just want to mention about this episode that I really liked, you know, is the the mystery again of Sydney's mother at this point, where she's looking at some of her mum's old books that her dad would give her and she notices in the margins hidden um some sort of kgb code and she starts to to really wonder like what is going on here was her father part of the kgb like some people have rumored um next on my list is episode 11 the confession written by jj and daniel arkin directed by harry weiner it picks up the the last episode was a cliffhanger where a bad guy named Hassan told Jack that he had to kill Sydney or he wasn't going to go with him. So they pick up right from there and Jack saves the day and him and Sydney bond. And what's nice is that we see them bonding and having like a good time as father and daughter kicking ass together, which is something that they don't get to do very often and certainly haven't done very often to this point. So this is a key episode for Jack and Sydney's relationship, which of course then all that gets wiped away because Vaughn says, yeah, we had those books examined. They are definitely KGB and the orders in them are prove that whoever had these books was a notorious murderer who for 25 years uh, earlier was responsible for like dozens of CIA officers being murdered. All of the hits are in these books. And my dad was one of them. So if your dad is a KGB agent who killed everybody in these books, your dad killed my dad. And that is like a moment where it's like, Oh my gosh, just when you thought the drama couldn't get any more, you know, Sydney has to admit that maybe her father has a a darker side than she knew. And even though, at the beginning of the episode, they finally are bonding. They finally have some father-daughter time. She has to say to, to Vaughn, like, okay, we can go to the CIA. I will come in for a meeting, and we will confront them about this information 
Because if they don't know that my dad is as bad as he is, then maybe they, you know, don't want to work with him as a mole. They want to bring him up on charges, right? Um, so then just the tension of Sydney worrying about going to this meeting. And then she shows up at the meeting after she goes through all sorts of hell in this episode with getting doused in gasoline and almost set on fire. But she goes to the meeting and her and Vaughn are sitting there and Jack walks in. And it's like one of those, oh shit moments where you're like, what are they going to tell us? And like pure JJ, you know, he loves to have these family ties and like, interesting twists and turns that you don't see coming. And when the CIA and Jack say, yes, we, we know about this and I was not the assassin. Your mother, Laura Bristow is actually one of the most notorious KGB agents of all time. Irina Derevko and the look on Vaughn and Sydney's face like makes the entire 10 episodes you watch to get to this completely worth it. Cause it's such a bombshell that, you know, they, they planted those breadcrumbs along the way, but a lot of people didn't see it coming because they kept having those talks where they're like, maybe Jack is shady. Maybe Jack is shady. And then it's like, no, Jack wasn't shady. Jack was an idiot who fell in love with a Russian agent. And, uh, I just love those, those moments feel to me like, JJ opening that mystery box a little bit and being like, you thought this was in the box, but this was in the box. It was something else. And I gotcha. Um, so I love the, the sort of gotcha-ness of this episode, but especially what it, it implies for Sydney is she, you know, her mother is dead from an accident, but now she finds out that her mother was not a teacher, not some nice mannered woman. She was a horrible murderer, which really sends her spinning from here on out. Um, I really think that, uh, first of all, to to uh, add more to one of the points that you said, um, JJ does a really good job at playing with family dynamics mm. and and sticking a wrench in family dynamics. And one thing that I feel that JJ does with most of his characters, um, specifically, well, just just as a, just as an example. Um, he like like when he gives his characters uh, you know a bad a uh, bad family member or bad father or bad mother or what have you he makes his characters for the most part go through a guilt trip right for for being related to that person but eventually his characters for the most part come around and discover that even though that their parents are evil sadistic people or even though their parents were uh, world famous uh uh surgeons who are were alcoholics and who didn't give a shit about them mm-hmm. that doesn't mean sorry lost reference yeah that doesn't mean that their parents didn't didn't care about them right just that just means that their parents were a little bit inflexible and a little bit darker in some areas than they were willing to admit yeah. And I do, I I I do agree with you, and I don't agree with you to a point to where you said that Jack, you know, uh, up you know up until this point where you know sort of on the fence, wondering whether Jack is a shaped person or he's whether he's an honest person. I think that he's always been 
a shady individual, but his his um, his methods and his overall resolve have been in question up until this point. Yeah, you know, I don't disagree with that, but I think this also lets us know why he maybe seems so shady all the time, because we find out that like he has been on the other end of the ultimate betrayal. Mm-hmm. So he would be shady because he would never trust people and probably keep them at a distance because of what happened with his wife. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, you know, I think that I, I, um, I think that the way that um, Jennifer Gardner and I can't, I, I, I don't know the actor who plays Vaughn. You do, yeah, Michael Vartan. Thank you. The the way that the uh, to to go off another point uh, uh, that you said, the way that they reacted once they heard this information. The way that they, the, the way that the, the way that they played it, the two of them was just great, you know. Yeah. And you know, and you know, you know, uh, when you see Sydney standing up and running out of the office, is he, you know, and, you know, when Jack tries to go after her, um, to sort of explain or whatever, uh, you know, it, it was just a wonderful scene. Mm-hmm. But to go back to a point that I made initially, again. Um, JJ does such a good job of adding backstory and backstory that we care about. It's not it's not backstory that isn't that isn't earned or or, or won't affect uh, our main characters uh, at all. It's backstory that actually layers the characters that we care about. So when they're put into you know life and death situations, as they often are in Alias, we do care about them and we do care about whether or not they end up surviving. And I. Yeah. I think that that is a massive credit to the way that J.J. crafts his characters and the way that he builds story for the most part. Do you think that, too? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. So, like I said, I I, I really enjoyed this episode. Like, that reveal was just great. And to see the way that Sidney reacts, once again, was just great. I really enjoyed this episode for the most part. Yep. And then they follow this one up with a two-parter that is on both of our lists called the box part one and part two written by Jesse Alexander and John Eisendrath directed by good old lost vet, Jack Bender and the box part one and part two is basically aliases riff on die hard. And not only is it a riff on die hard, but they got Quentin Tarantino to play the villain and he goes full Tarantino in this thing, man. He He's the cool cat, you know, ex-SD6 freelancer who, uh, <laughs> he's got some real good one-liners and like some, you know, when Quentin riffs on stuff, you know, he's he starts to get worried about some friends. He's like, I feel like I'm a mom at the mall. And you're <laughs> like, okay, this is, they really wrote to, to Tarantino. Um, but uh, Marcella, what do you like about this I... epic two-parter? I well, I love um, I, I as a as a writer and as a TV watcher for all my life. I love when writers and directors put characters in an enclosed situation, and yeah. I love I love what we call bottle episodes. Yeah, that's why I'm such a fan of a. That's why I'm such a fan of a Star Trek and the Next Generation because a lot of their episodes were bottle episodes on the ship, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that this episode does such a good job of showing you the, the, how much the relationship between Sid, uh, Sydney and Jack has progressed, you mm-hmm. know, watching them try and, uh, once they get stuck in the elevator, uh, 
and watching them try and you know figure out what's going on at uh, what's going on at SD6, and you know, and then having Sydney have to crawl through the through the ducks and everything. Yeah, that was just for me. That for me, that was a good old time. But the selling point of this episode for me, and the point where I said, "Oh shit, that's uh, because I had completely forgotten that." Quentin was in this episode, and I was like, <laughs> "Holy shit! That's how the hell did they get Quentin?" Yeah. I was like, "What? What did? What did? What did? What did JJ have to sacrifice to do this?" <laughs> because you know, because Quentin, because Quentin doesn't really do many acting gigs. I mean, he does. You know, he did. He did uh, Reservoir Dog. Uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Excuse me. Yeah, and he did. Um, um, oh God, till dusk, till dawn, right? Yeah, but but that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, other than a other than a you know cameo here and there in his own movies, but I find it so cool that a guy of that caliber um, would want to do something like this. And I don't know if he was a fan of the show, or I don't know if he was friends with JJ. And he said, called him up one day. and said, "Do you have a villain I could play?" <laughs> I think this way. I, I I vaguely recall, and I didn't look it up before we were doing this, which is very unlike me, but uh, Tarantino, if you don't know, is a super TV junkie. Like, the yeah. guy, all day, every day, even when he's writing, like, just watches TV. Like, he loves TV. Um, so, I'm pretty sure that he, like, really digged Alias from mm-hmm. the start, and when he put that out in, like, some interview, he said, like, oh, the show I'm digging on right now is this thing called Alias, JJ was like, well, shit, we might as well call this guy up and see if he wants to do something, man. Like, you know, and uh, they offered it to him and he was like, well, yeah, I'll come out and do that. Like, why not? Um, And he's awesome in this. And I love uh, his introduction, you know, when him and his gang are like infiltrating SD6 and they got Dragula by Rob Zombie blaring in the soundtrack. And it's like, yeah, like these people are badass. They're coming. They're going to get the better of SD6. And uh, even the terrorist van they arrive in says McTiernan air conditioning. And of course, John McTiernan directed Die Hard. Uh, So that was a nice nod right away that they're, you know, the writers are saying, okay, guys, we know, we know what this is. You know, Sydney's going to be crawling around in ducks. We know, we know, we know what this is. Uh, But I love it because it's, it's tense because, you know, we have this part where, you know, Sydney and Jack have now started to mend fences and they're both in super danger. And when Sydney reaches out to Vaughn, he basically drops everything uh, and and rushes over there. Well, it's actually not Sydney who reaches out. It's he intercepts the message from Dixon, who Dixon thinks that, you know, he's sending a message to Langley. And rather than waiting for confirmation, Vaughn just runs in. You know, yeah. he, he does what he does. He's going to go be with Sid and the two of them together are like the John McClane of this episode after, uh, Jack gets captured. And I just like that, uh, you know, we get to see them together on a mission. Um, but also we're really worried that because they're together on a mission inside SD six, it's going to blow her cover and everything is just going to be thrown out the window. Um, and you know, Vaughn, he doesn't get to like have a lot of 
funny banter in like the action scenes because usually he's like the straight man but in the second episode of this uh they have to defuse the c4 and she's like are you good with it like is that this and he goes yeah this is a charge of c4 i can tell because it says c4 everywhere on it <laughs> and uh it's like you know out of nowhere just this really funny random line while they're trying to break the tension and we see you know Tarantino has this this thing of torture devices that he's going to be using on Sloan. So, like, this episode runs with Tarantino's wheelhouse because, like I said, he gets some of these really funny, you know, quick-talking, pop-culture-esque lines. And also he gets to torture the shit out of someone, which is so in Tarantino's wheelhouse. And the fact that it's Sloan... Is great. Who, who yeah, we, we hate Sloan, right? So... That is really good, and it looks so painful when those long needles, and he puts it in Sloane's arm, and then, like, his face and his neck, and you're like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Um, and then, uh, you know, because we kind of like Tarantino, because he's Tarantino, they then make his character despicable by the end, uh, where he, you know, he tells this horrible story to Sydney about how he remembers her from his days at SD6. And he used to call her pigtails because she would wear pigtails. And he asked her out one time and she was really mean to him. And so, you know, he backwashes in a bottle that he makes her drink out of. And he backwashed a lot. And it's like, okay, you know, this guy's a sleaze. This sounds like every, like, oh, I'm angry at the world because the girl wouldn't go out with me, idiot. In the end, like for him to make Tarantino that like this creep um, pulls the rug out from under you a little bit in that last act and really makes you hate him and want him to get his by the end of the episode, which uh, was really nice. You know, that whole speech about, you know, he remembers Sidney from when he was at SD6. That whole speech is so Quentin Tarantino. Oh, big time. I'm sure he rewrote his dialogue. Something. Yeah. But, you know, he I, I was just about to say, you know, he may not have written everything on this episode, but that particular scene was like so quitting. Right. Mm-hmm. And even even when he was torturing Sloan, I'm like, do do it more, do it more, do it more. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, oh, my God. Yes. I remember what I was going to say. When 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 Quentin's gang was introduced and they're walking down that hall and they're just about to enter SD6, his his girlfriend. Uh, his girlfriend or his or double agent who's yeah uh, who is who was his girlfriend yeah yeah who's spying on his agency or whatever she fixes his tie and i'm like this is and he's like how do i look you know yeah. and th- that to me was like that's reservoir dogs right yeah there. big time big time yeah. i'm like i'm like that's I'm like, you know i'm like that's so cool yeah. you know and with you know and with the, the suit and all the all the all the charisma and i'm like you know, you know, you you mentioned it with the with the lines. He's like, you know, I can't find my kids in the mall somewhere. Yeah, he has such quirky, off the wall dialogue in this episode. Like you said, make him are so wonderfully likable. But then when he starts when he starts talking to Sydney, like you said, he's such a creep and a dick. Yeah, and they do two reversals in this episode specifically because. We like Tarantino up until that speech, and you're like, what a dick. And we hate Sloane the whole episode, 
But then, in the final moments, you know, we still hate Sloane, but the guy realizes that if he doesn't allow Jack to cut off his finger, then SD6 is going to be blown up, and the only way to stop the failsafe is this, and Sloane makes him do it. Jack cuts his finger off in, like, the most uncomfortable scene to watch. Like, you just hear the sound effects, and it's like, ugh! Um, but, you know, a guy as selfish as Sloane, you didn't see that that side of him was going to come into play, and he lets that happen. They kind of build a little bit of sympathy, a little bit, for him, because we see, you know, he doesn't want Sydney and all these people to die. He He's willing to cut off his finger to make it happen. And I do want to say, I trashed the music in the, the pilot, um, and I think that the music has gotten exponentially better um, as the show went on and the work by Giacchino in this one was awesome. Uh, really fun, playful at times and so much better than that horrible techno in the pilot. Yeah. Um, I know like, like you mentioned that we see Sloan have a couple beats of humanity, uh, in this episode. And I find it really interesting that at the end of the episode, when he sees everybody re- recovering from the, from the from the invasion by uh, Tarantino and his gang, you see him sort of looking around, mm-hmm. and you see him sort of thinking thinking about Jesus Christ, am I really a bad guy? I mean, right. I would love to, like, I I know that wouldn't be Elias style, but I would love to hear the inner monologue that was running through his head when he was when he was just looking at the carnage that he caused, basically. Yeah. Oh, big time. Uh, well, he didn't cause it, but the the carnage that he was responsible for because he left Quinton back right. there. He was working for. Um, yeah, Cole's doing and, this because of what Sloane did to him. Right. 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 Or at least that's what we think at the time. <laughs> yeah. Also, I do like the fact that the the overall MacGuffin that Quinton I don't remember remember his name. Yeah. That Quinton, Sorry that Quinn was looking for was this ink, right? Yeah. And that that ink is connected to Rambaldi and that, that and that that ink is going to come into play in uh in a in a late in a in a in a later episode that we're going to talk about yep. is kind of cool. And that everything everything that almost everything that the, every almost everything that the show does is connected into Rimbaldi in one way or another. I find it really cool that the writers found a way to interconnect a 22-episode season to to use something to interconnect a 22 episodes is not easy. Right. And it's very, very hard. And I, I, I applaud them uh, for that. You mentioned the music of this episode. I thought the editing of this episode was interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um. If I can just mention JJ for a second here, JJ has been using the same editors for most of his uh, career, actually. Marianne uh, Brandon. Yes, yes. Marianne Brandon and her partner have edited almost everything that JJ has done. Mm-hmm. They, they even edited um, his directorial debut that we'll talk about on the show at some point. Yep. Um, so I find it really interesting. They even won an award for season two for outstanding editing. Oh, good. Uh, for Alias. But yeah. I, I find the editing to be so well done and so well, you know, so well paced. And it gives it gives this sort of energy to the show. Yeah, um, it's really tight. There's not a lot of like 
stuff that you would cut out of Alias when you watch it, and just yeah, the that pace, rapid fire. Right, right, right. But I, I, I really love this episode because you, you, you mentioned it before. It has a diehard feel to it. Like when Sydney was walking, when Sydney was crawling through the vents, I wanted her to say, you know, you know what, you know, you know, you know, you know, you said we were going to come out to have a couple laughs. I wanted her to take a lighter right. out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but this episode, this episode was so much fun for Quentin, for Sloan getting tortured to death, almost dying. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and, you know, and to see Marshall get whacked in the head, to see, you know, Dixon beat up with an inch of his life was kind of distressing, too. Yeah. Um, it was just great. It was just really fun. Also, if I could, just one more thing here. The, 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 the dickhead at the CIA who causes all sorts of problems for Vaughn yeah. didn't want to send the CIA to help SD6. I was like... You are so lucky that they're still alive because if they would have died, you would have been so fired, you dick. <laughs> that that guy, guy is the worst. That guy is so bad. And he, you know, and he's the one that reports Vaughn to the psychiatrist later on. Yeah. Uh, well, that that um, guy gets his in the end. Oh well, oh, yeah, well I, I I totally I totally forgot what happens to him. So don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, he uh, he gets it. He, yeah, he's doesn't he's not living ever after. <laughs> but uh, okay. uh, so next on the list is one of your episodes, episode twenty, the solution. But just one aside before we get to that, um, JJ wrote an episode in between here that I just want to mention called Q and A, which is episode seventeen. That is really weird. It was directed by Ken Olin, in the fact that like sixty percent of the episode is a clip show. So it was. You know, they really wanted to get people up to speed because Alias is so serialized. Um, so they thought, okay, let's have uh, an FBI director come in and question Sydney about everything that's gone on. And we'll just use clips to like bring audience up to speed. But they did two things that a clip show normally doesn't do. The first one is that 40% of it is actually really vital plot to the rest of the overall arc where Sydney is on the run. Um, she's trying to disprove the prophecy by Rimbaldi. She drives a car off a pier, and in doing so, she realizes that her mother may have faked her own death all those days ago. The other thing that it does, that a clip show usually doesn't do, is introduces one of the best actors of a generation, Terry O'Quinn, on Alias as... FBI assistant director Kendall. Um, and you know, Oh, Queen is always good. He was good here, but like, you just see some of the shades of John Locke wow. and you're like, yes, <laughs> like this guy, but it's just a clip show that happens to actually have 40% new footage. So for 25 minutes, if you've watched all the episodes, you're bored, but the other 20 minutes, you're like, Oh, this is a good one. Uh, but the solution Written by John Eisendrath, directed by Dan Adius, uh, episode twenty. Fill us in on that one, Marcelo. I I really liked I really liked that one. Uh, no, but if, before before I start talking about that one, can, can I just say one thing about Q and A? Yeah. Um, you mentioned it that it was a clip show and that it was edited really funky. Q and A is actually the one that got nominated for uh, for outstanding editing for for JJ's editors. Well, and it was the it's the one that basically is is that in in res media opening 
where it starts with Sydney driving the car off the pier. And then we go back to like eight hours earlier and, and fits all those things. And while it is a clip show, some of the stuff we flash back to, we didn't actually see before. So some of the flashbacks are new, Um, which again, like is why it was written by JJ and it did. I knew that it had some nominations. So that's one of the reasons why I watched it, but it's like, Oh, it's so weird because it's a clip show. And if you've just watched 16 episodes of the show, you don't need the clips, but it has so much good stuff in it that I, I wanted to bring it up, even though it didn't make my top five. Um, now, uh, back to episode 20, uh, solution. The thing that I love about solution is that, um, apparently another group wants to, uh, 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 um, wants to you know you know you wants to get the uh, the 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 Rimbaldi solution right. Mm-hmm. So the CIA come up with a plan to duplicate that solution, right? Yeah. To have Sydney go in to meet these clients and and you know and uh, you know find out what they're all about, what they really want, and what their overall endgame is. But the thing. That makes this episode bonkers, crazy, insane is the fact that meanwhile, while the CIA is doing that, Sloan sends Dixon to basically cap this guy. Right. He sends Sloan sends Dixon to cap the guy that Sydney's meeting, you know, with yeah. in this in this foreign country in the Middle East. And the and the thing that I love about this episode is that you said it at the outset of uh, when we started talking about Elias, and you said it all throughout this episode, too. I love when Jennifer Garner plays dress-up. Yeah. I love it. And when to, to see her go to the meeting, uh, uh, you know, to meet this guy, to trade the liquids and all that stuff, she wears this, this, this you know, this, this Middle Eastern getup where the only thing that you can see is her eyes, right? Right. And all throughout the scene when she's talking to the guy, you know, and, and this guy wants, you know, to, to, to prove her muscle and she actually has to fight with him a little bit. Yeah. But when Dixon shows up, you know, he barnstorms the area where they're all meeting. And the last shot of the episode is you see Dixon point the gun at Sydney, and then um, the way that it's directed, you see him sort of look at her and you're like, Wait a minute. Does he know that that's Sydney, or is he like, is he right. gonna shoot her? Yeah. But the but the way that it ends is like, oh my god, she's she's dead. Like like if Dixon finds her here, she's dead. There's no way that she can get the hell out of this. How is she gonna get out? Yeah. Right. Because she's basically at gunpoint. There's right. no way that she can get out. And I still don't know how she got out because I, I stopped watching. <laughs> I couldn't, I did, I don't know how she got out, but I, I love the, the fact that the CIA had this plan and, you know, uh, uh, unbeknownst to the CIA, Sloan asked Dixon to go and cap this guy. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love, I absolutely love the situation that that creates, and the cliffhanger that that creates is just awesome. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, Dixon coming in there and Sydney going, holy, you know, holy shit, how am I going to get out of this? Uh, it's just great, um, and you know, and that's why I love this. Uh, I love this episode. Also, 
I do find it really, really interesting that the show keeps coming up with different Rimbaldi inventions. Yep. Like they find a book and then they find a solution and then they find this and then they find that. Um, I wish that the, my only, my only um, regret of the show so far is I love everything that they're doing, but I wish that it would be one central thing, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of, instead of being like a million little things, it could be a couple, it could be like three giant big things, right? right? But, you know, between the solution, the book, the, the, the Russian codes, I'm like, you know, you know, you know, and the fact that Rimbaldi, uh, um, um, uh, kind of, kind of wrote computer code before computer code even existed. Right. was like, was like, come on. I mean, yeah, I'm with you guys, but you're, you're reaching a little bit too far. Well, he wrote computer code before it existed and he drew an exact drawing of Sidney Bristow when he made a prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, um, like, like that's like the, um, uh, as I wrap up episode twenty here, that's the thing about uh, season one that I I do love all the mystery and all the all the all the prophecies and all these things, mm-hmm. but I do think that the um, the writers just went a little nuts with that. <laughs> they did, and I love that they go nuts. I just wish that they had more of an end game in mind. And uh, one thing, you know, when you say Sydney is going to, to meet a guy for a sale and it's Sark who, um, you know, Sark is one of the the big villains on Alias as uh, David Anders, just a great bad guy. Yeah, no, no, but uh, isn't, isn't, isn't Sark the guy that she met earlier in the nightclub when she dressed up in that blue tight? Yeah, that, that was Sark too. Uh, she did meet him a few episodes earlier for a yeah, minute, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but I, 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 look, the, the huge selling point of this episode for me was that trip and, and, and that overall meeting with Stark and the, and the tension that that brought. I thought that was phenomenal. The fact that Dixon was go, was going to cap this guy and the CIA had no idea that it was coming and that, in that impossible situation that Sydney put herself in was just great. And that's why I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Uh, so last on my list and the last episode we will talk about in this episode of our podcast is the season finale. I always love the season finale. Uh, episode 22, almost 30 years, written and directed by JJ. And what I love is that when this thing kicks off, like this is a really fast-paced, insane episode of Alias, uh, Will is being tortured and like knows everything that's going on. He gets kidnapped by Sark. Um, they bring him to the same place that Sydney got tortured in the pilot. And the Asian dude comes in and he's going to work his magic on will. And that is not something you would wish on anyone, especially not mild mannered reporter. Will Tippin. Um, so I think that was like an awesome callback to the, the pilot um, which, you know, JJ directed truth be told and this one. So I really liked that he decided we were going to go back to where it all started. And we did that reversal where now it's will who's being, um, tortured also in this episode to get will out. Sydney has to bring the blank sheet of paper 
and the the solution that they got from McKenna's Cole in the box uh, to Sark, or they're going to kill Will. And the problem with that is that both of those things are in highly secure locations, which means double heist. We are doing two heists in this episode. Jackie Boy is going to go after one thing. Sydney's going to go after the other. With a ticking clock and two heists, like, you know we're in season finale territory right now. Um, and so I just love all of those, like, spy tropes that we sort of mash up. And they throw a wrench in everything where Sydney's going on her mission. Everything's going good. She's getting her part of the heist. And Dixon shows up. And Dixon has had a memory of when he was shot and Sydney radioed for help and used the term freelancer. And he talks to Marshall in this episode and Marshall says, no, no, her, her call sign was bluebird. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the scene between Dixon and Sid um, is amazing where he confronts her and just says like, you know, Give me a give me a reason, and she's like, "Well, I gotta explain you some stuff, and I gotta tell you some other stuff." And he's like, "No, no, this is me you're talking to. Like, just level with me. Like, emotionally make me understand what is happening." Um, and that is a great moment uh, between these two friends who, like, you know, Dixon still doesn't know everything that's going on, and Sydney also doesn't have the time because of the ticking clock to explain everything to him in a way that won't explode his entire world in about 40 seconds. Um, so I really like the way that she handles that. And then, uh, Jack, Jack gets some good revenge on, on someone, on someone in this episode, uh, that I really enjoyed. And when they finally, you know, get the, the solution and the page and they use them together, they find out the information and they have to, to turn it over. Um, Will gets a great moment. He has been tortured, like super tortured. And as soon as they are moving him to give him over to Jack, Will grabs a needle and stabs it in the guy who's been torturing his neck. Uh, and earlier in the episode, the guy said, you know, this truth serum that I'm going to give you one in five people have a very bad reaction. And, so Bradley Cooper finally gets this awesome hero moment where he stabs the serum into the Asian dude's neck and he goes, one in five, you little bitch, one in five. And he's screaming at him. And I was like, just stood up and started clapping. I was like, finally, Will Tippin gets like a great kick-ass moment where he's not just like a damsel in distress or playing all the president's men. <laughs> um, and then when he gets handed over to Jack, he just gives Jack a hug and he says, thank you. Uh -huh. Like, so he had that hero moment, but then we see like how beaten down he actually is. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course with Sydney, how having turned over the instructions, the, the page ends up revealing the instructions for the Rimbaldi device that they got in the pilot. Um, and that Kazanow and his cronies have, um, they have to destroy the machine before they can use the instructions to do whatever the machine is supposed to do. And when she goes and she's running around, she's got blue hair, she's kicking ass in the hallway and they got really exciting music. 
And she walks into a room after kicking all this ass. She's like, all right, I'm going to destroy the device. Don't worry, guys. Like, it's it's going to be fine. It's just this little device. And we we slowly pan out. And we just see tiny Sydney and gigantic red ball and machine is such an awesome moment. And she's like, guys, it's bigger than I thought. <laughs> and uh, in that moment, we we flash back to that really small red ball in the pilot. And when they turned off that machine, it exploded into like a little bit of water. And mm-hmm. that huge moment where Sydney realizes like, as soon as I turn this machine off, I've got to outrun a tsunami is nuts. And, the, you know, like I said, they crank up like the rocking music and she's outrunning the flood. And it's such a hero moment. We're like, yes, everything's going our way. This is the best. And then we see Vaughn and Vaughn is in the hallway and he's trailing. And you're like, the hell is Vaughn doing here? Why is he not running as fast as we want him to run? And they, one, one of the cliffhangers is, you know, these doors close and it's that old, you're watching your loved one die drowning and Sydney is banging on the glass with a fire extinguisher and it won't work. And then all of a sudden Vaughn is kind of just washed away and that's it. Like that's it for Vaughn in this episode. So what happens to Vaughn is one of the main, you know, uh, cliffhangers of the season. Um, Sydney passes out and wakes up in a chair face to face with Kazanow, who has been the the like big bad sort of for the last eight episodes or whatever. And we knew that there was someone higher up. And so Sydney says, like, you know, what do you want? You're the you're the man, right? You're the man. And he said, No, no, I'm not the man. You can you can ask my boss what this is all about. And that's that awesome moment where we see a silhouette and it's only a silhouette because they hadn't actually finished the deal on who would play this character. And, uh, a woman walks in and says, I have waited almost 30 years for this. And the look on Garner's face. So awesome. As she says, mom cut to the alias logo and that's it. And we had to wait eight months or whatever it was. Um, super like exciting. So many, storylines come out. I even glossed over like the emotional moments where Sloan realizes he has to kill his wife if he wants to take over um, the Alliance, which is like a huge can of worms that they open. So like this, this finale goes hard. So many of the things come to a head, but there's so much left unresolved and so much mess to clean up. But man, it was exciting. And, uh, I will just say one Easter egg that you might appreciate is uh, Will's boss. When they, they're like, Will's missing. We're going to maybe have to run an article about Will missing. And somebody says, call Orsi in graphics. Get him a photo of oh, Will. Nice. <laughs> nice. So Bob got a, a, a nod in, in the finale. But man, what a jam-packed episode that um, pays off so much. Echoes back to the the premiere episode a lot. So it feels like we've come full circle while still laying so much out that needs to be resolved in another season. But wow, what a ride. Yeah, I can know. I can just tell you, actually just hearing you talk about, talk about the episode makes me want to watch it now. <laughs> um, I know actually I did watch it. Don't worry. Um, I re- I really like the fact that after, after 
22, 23, whatever, how many episodes we've done this year, that Dixon finally finds out, you know? Yeah. He finally gets that moment to to talk to Sydney and to confront her, like you said, like, you know, just be straight with me. What the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. And I really love the fact that at the start of the conversation, Sydney was sort of hesitant to the... To the point where, you know, um, um, Dixon was like, no, just just tell me. And I love the fact that he ultimately is revealed to be a good guy. But at that point, when, you know, you see him sitting there, you, you know, you know, you wouldn't be mistaken if you thought that, you know, the second that she, she told, you know, she told him that she works for the CIA and that he works for a evil organization, you would you wouldn't be you know, totally, you know, out of the realm possibility if you thought that he, he was going to shoot in the face. Right. <laughs> but but seriously, if you've seen Dixon throughout the whole course of this first season, you would probably know that he's he's a good guy and he actually believes in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, and that brings me to another point. Even, even, even though SC6 is an evil corporation, the people that they hire... Don't necessarily know that they're working for an evil organization, right? So that's like a main a main difference between like K Directorate and Kaznow's operation is that all those people they know that they're like evil henchmen, but SD Six basically because they recruit under the guise of being the CIA, most -hmm. of the people are good people who think they're doing good. Right. I find um I found that so interesting that SD Six decided to, to take on the moniker. Of the CIA, and it's baffling to me that none of these people actually thought to themselves for just a second: if we're supposed to be working for the CIA, how come we never been to the big building in Landline? <laughs> right. You know, I, I mean, you know, it's something small, but it's something so well. Uh, it it it's something that you know somebody at SC Six would have thought about. Yeah. At one point, you think. Also. I did enjoy the fact that this episode, like you said, had awesome music, had had two heists going on at one time. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And also, this episode had Mission Impossible vibes just just screaming out the window. Oh yeah. You know, you know, when the when the when when the when when they were work when they were when they were working out how they were gonna do the multiple heists at one time, I was like, this is so reminiscent of Ethan talking to Luther. And uh, and um, uh, oh my God, Kruger in the train, right? Yeah. He's he's like going like, this is how we're gonna do it. And like he's like, no, he's like, we're gonna do it, you know? Right. It, 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 this episode was so fun to watch. The editing was on point. The music was on point. And then the finale, like you said, when Sydney walks into that big room and she says, "Okay, guys, I got it. We're all gonna be fine." But as the camera pulls back, you see this giant ball. Right. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, you know, and then, you know, and then the cliffhanger, I was like, you know what? I, I like Vaughn, but I'm not I'm not overly crazy about Vaughn. So if he drowned, I wouldn't have I would have been sad for an episode or two. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I'm a, I, I like Will. Yeah, I like Will. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's me liking Bradley Cooper, or liking the character of Will. Right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is yet. 
I haven't really thought about that. But but actually, that, um, with that being said, in the later seasons, Vaughn does grow on me a little bit. And I, <laughs> they, and I uh, do. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry. I do end up uh, uh, liking him a lot. And uh, you did mention that my boy gets a shout out in this episode, which I think yeah. is awesome. But did you also notice uh, in the, one of the earlier episodes that we talked about today, Slusho gets a call out? In mm, this. Yeah, in episode two, Vaughn drinks a Slusho. Yes. And for those of you who are lost people and JJ uh, encyclopedia in, in acts like we are, Slusho is the Slusho actually shows up in it shows up in Fringe. It shows up in Alias. It shows up in uh, in Lost and in Lost, and uh, it shows up in Cloverfield. And Slusho yeah. is the organization that the main, one of the main characters from Cloverfield is working for. So I just think that I just think that that's really cool that JJ will do something like that. Mm-hmm. That that he would that he would put this Easter egg in his show, and he would carry it through through various you know, projects. I think, I think that's very cool, but I really enjoyed this season. I wish that I would have had more time to watch everything because like you, I normally pick my five and then I wait for, I wait for your five to come in and I, you know, and I, and I, you know, I try to watch those five. I I try to watch your list as fast as I can, but there are some times where I haven't got there. I mean, I watched the episode for the most part, but there was some times where I got to, you know, I had to speed it up. Right. Um, but I, I really enjoyed watching this first season of Alias, and it was a whole lot of fun. I, I really loved the music, the direction, obviously. The editing I thought was fantastic, and the writing I thought was on point and awesome. Yeah, the production value of this show is basically second to none for a network TV show. Just amazing. And uh, to that point of, you know, the time scramble, <laughs> uh, going forward, we're going to maybe slow our roll a bit. Um, so this week we talked about, basically, we picked five episodes each, but out of a batch of 21 episodes to choose from. Um, so next week we will be back talking about the season two premiere of Alias. But then the week after that, we're going to take a look at just the first half of the season as a whole. Um, and then we'll come back with another episode about like the, the back half of the season as a whole. And then maybe an episode dedicated just to the season finale. So we can talk about the broader arcs, um, especially as we go forward with JJ's other shows that he produced and worked on. So many of them are so serialized and have so many storylines that weave throughout, you know, multiple episodes that we think it'll just be easier to digest and it'll give us a little bit more time to actually watch them and have fun revisiting them rather than, you know, rushing through to do the homework. So we're going to do a little bit of a, a format revision as we move forward. But hopefully you guys like it. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed this talk about the awesome first season of Alias, which still holds up, man. I hadn't seen it since it was, like I said, I bought the DVDs and rewatched them back in 2003 but it's literally been 17 years since I watched Alias and that first season is still a killer. Do you know, do you know that they actually have a special edition of uh, a complete series collection, special edition of Alias that has, that has the entire series 
in this box that if you look at it, it looks like, it looks like one of the Rambaldi uh, Bibles. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's one of those gimmicks that I love and I also hate because I always buy, especially a show like this or like Lost, when the shows were popular but like not super popular, I always buy the Blu-rays or the DVDs as they come out to let the studios know that I support the show and I want the show to keep going. But then I always feel screwed over when the show comes to an end and they put out the final season, but then they also put out the giant box set that if you haven't bought all of them, now you get the awesome packaging and the bonus disc. And it's like, well, I already bought all your other eight seasons, so I'm not going to buy the nine season mega pack because I already bought them as they came out. So that's one of my frustrations that... Lost has an awesome set like that too that looks like the island and all that stuff and Alias has that cool set so it's it's awesome for the people who didn't buy them as they came out but frustrating for us who don't have that much money lying around. No, actually but I um just a, just a quick aside here about that set. That set is um only region 2. That set doesn't work on my side of the pond. Yeah. I think it works where you are, but it doesn't work where I am. No, I was going to say, Canada falls into the same uh, region as you. Okay, okay. So, so basically, North America gets lumped together as Region A or Region 1, depending on if you're talking Blu-ray or DVD. So yeah. it wouldn't play for me either, unfortunately. No, but I, no, but I just found it, um, I just, you know, I just find it so interesting that, you know, back in the day when, when we were watching shows like this, uh, um, studios would do that, right? Oh, yeah. They would... They would release the sh- shows. They would release the seasons that are coming along, but then when the show was over, they would release this awesome package <laughs> thing that was just crazy. Like, like they're doing. Like, I'm sorry. One more thing here, and, I'm gonna, and then you can bring us home. Like they're doing that with uh, Mission now, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited about. You know, how, you know, how, you know how excited I am for that. Oh yeah. But they, but they're doing that. For, they're doing that with Mission now. So yeah. All right. So let me shut up. And why don't you take Why don't you take us home, Matt? Yeah, so that is that. If you want to get a hold of me, I am on Twitter, at Matt Crandall. If you want to get a hold of Marcelo, they can hit you up on Twitter, at CreekFanatic88. That's right. (laughs) And uh, if you have any questions for us or anything, hit Twitter, use the hashtag Radio815. If you have anything on your mind, let us know, and we'll take a look at it and bring it up in the next show. Also, uh, before Matt signs off here, we are really, really close to reaching uh, 100 plays throughout all our episodes. And I just wanted to just uh, send out a quick thank you to those people who uh, can be listening to us and who have listened to us for uh, 10 episodes so far. You guys are great, and we really, really love the support. And like Matt said, if you want to send us a message, just reach out to us on the hashtag uh, Radio815. And... uh, We'll uh, read your comment on the air, but thank you so much for making the show uh, worth doing and uh, uh, reaching 100 plays. That's great. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it, and we will catch you next week.